0: journey through the Gospels, we find ourselves in John chapter 7. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. I said 7. It's in my Bible. We're in 8, beginning in verse 12. But we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And we're not going to go all the way through John 8. We're going to take it down to verse um, 36. And verse 36 is a especially favorite verse of mine and for so many. And so we'll be looking at that in a moment in a sermon that I titled Free Indeed, but it is Father's Day and to the dads, Happy Father's Day. Paul sent me this last week, uh, just a paragraph from an article that he sent about dads and this is kind of summing up the article where it says, Closeness to fathers matter more than closeness to mothers. I didn't say that. I'm reading it in the article. Um, both matter, but there is a significant difference, and this is what they're pointing out. When Regarding religious transmission, among evangelical fathers, there is a 25-point difference in the professed faith between uh, parents and child For children who feel emotionally close to their mothers the difference is just one percentage point so it matters and it went on to say for mainline believers so they were looking at evangelicals but they said the same or similar with mainline and Catholics that dads do matter and uh, we understand that but I fear that we live in a generation now where many uh, people are not getting married any longer. And so though with or without marriage, there is, if there's children, there's a mom and dad, but it does not necessarily mean that they have a dad actively connected in their child's life. And uh, it's so important. So for us, in two ways, we just encourage our men to continue to strive For the faith that the Lord has given to them, it matters to your children. But also for those who are without dads or maybe only have a dad that they see once a month. Um, How can we be that for a child and represent our Heavenly Father in the lives of so many children in our community? It should be a great concern to help raise up that next generation in Faith that they might know Christ and we see that we have a generation that is being raised up apart from Christ They don't know Christ and um, I think we're feeling the effects of that in our nation today Without the Lord doing a work and a work of revival. It's only going to continue to spiral downward It's only going to get worse but we know that Christ can do the work we know that there is that but God we can see when Israel in the Old Testament had horrible things coming against them often because of their own doing but but God God would intervene and God would turn the situation around and God can do that for us today so dad's happy Father's Day and thank you for uh, being an example to your family, to your children, and be that example. Strive to help, to lead, and uh, you know, just reach out, the dads. Here's the thing that I do: I have adult children, and uh, um, now adult grandchildren are coming into play too. But uh, my message, I script it, and you guys have it. Um, You don't get this, but I script it, but I send it out for the video guys to have and some of the guys in the church, but I send it out to uh, my son-in-law, Kevin, and I send it to my son, John, every Sunday. I never miss, and I always write him a note. I don't know if they they never respond, so I'm just doing it. (laughs) I'm just telling you that's how it is. They never respond, but every Sunday they get a note from Dad, and I tell them that I love them. And I might, based off of the scripture that we're looking at, have a special thing that I might want to say to them because of the scripture. And so we can do that. You can keep sending out those little reminders. And to be honest with you, as um, a son in law has come into the mix and Nathan turning 18, I wonder if I'll expand that note to my older adult children and grandchildren now but I haven't done that yet but I think sometimes we just need to be those reminders in the Word of God it tells us to train up a child in the way he or she will go and uh, we have done the training part but maybe all we need to do is be a reminder at this point when they're out and about in life doing their own thing uh, we can be that anchor of truth for them not only in our homes, but for our family as well. All right, let's get into the word. I titled this passage. We are in Lesson 56 of the Chronological Gospels. I titled this Free Indeed based off of verse 36 because it is a special verse to me, and I'll explain why when we get there. But we're going to look at three points. And in verses 12 through 20 of John 8, the Son of Man 21 through 29, if the Son makes you free, I think I did that backwards, 12 through 20, the light of the world, 8 through 21, the Son of Man, and if the Son makes you free, 8 verses 30 through 36. I'll go ahead and read our first verse of the first point, and we'll get into the teaching of God's word. So we are picking up In verse 12 of chapter 8 it says then Jesus spoke to them again I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life I almost began to sing that since we just sang that song and the wording is a little different in the song that we sung versus the New King James so it was messing with my mind slightly I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is the second of the seven I am statements that's found in the gospel of John. And the statements are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. We'll see later on that there are other I am, but not statements. And I believe they're they're not deemed statements because here you have a descriptive term that goes with these statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Like we're looking at that one today. I am the light of the world. You have Jesus saying ego me in the Greek. And it is spelt just like let go of my ego ego in me so I am in the Greek you'll hear me say that a couple of times in this message today and the other ego in me they're not necessarily a statement in the sense of uh, describing a characteristic of who Jesus is as I am he just simply says ego in me in our even in our texts today in the Bible they will add the word he to it that's added it's not in the greek and i I don't know if that's the best thing to do to add that word he but to let it stand as i am in fact we happened just to be watching tv and one of the uh, marvel super uh, hero movies was on and there was a character that they were trying to figure out well who are you who are you and and he said, Well, I'm not this and I'm not that. I'm just I am. It's like, uh oh, they're playing with God themes here. And later on, another character said, Do you need to confess your sins? They were definitely playing with God themes there. And Jesus said, Ego a me. He said, I am. So we learned last week. Jesus here attending the feast of tabernacles that they had a tradition that developed in the feast of tabernacles that lasted for a week long where the priest would come and they'd pour water on the altar the altar would pour down the uh, the water would pour down the altar onto the steps and down as the people to assimilate, really the Lord providing water for Israel in the wilderness. The Feast of Tabernacles is all about 40 years in the wilderness. They would make booths, they would have tents, they would camp out. They would try to assimilate that time when Israel for 40 years was roaming around in the wilderness and they had special celebrations like the water being poured out on the altar to. Remind them of God's provision, the provision of water, where he um, at one time Moses threw a stick at the commandment of God into bitter water. The water was made sweet. Another time he was told to strike the rock with the rod of God and water poured forth from the rock. And another time Moses was told to speak to the rock that the water would come forth. He disobeyed God in that regard, and he struck the rock again. But God provided water. And it is thought, we looked at this last week, that at the pouring out on the last day of the great feast, the pouring out of the water, that Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And as the water was poured out on that last day of the great feast, Jesus saying that I am the living water. Well, there was another tradition that had to do with the lighting of torches. Now, this was to remind Israel of the Shekinah glory cloud. It was fire by night and a cloud by day and guided Israel through the wilderness from the time that they stood at the edge of the Red Sea before God opened and parted the Red Sea the Shekinah glory of God appeared and went between Israel and Egypt to separate them on israel's side. They had lights all night on egypt's side they were in darkness all night, but that Shekinah glory stayed with Israel throughout the forty years in the wilderness, guided them throughout the wilderness and so they had this tradition of lighting torches in the court of the women, where the wicks of the Torches were made from the used garments of the priest that they wore out or the wore out garments of the priest. And the light was to be a symbol of the Shekinah glory of God. Now, it could be that Jesus, again, coming off another tradition of this feast, stood and spoke, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now we think of Jesus as light and light and darkness. We find that in the Bible that there was in Genesis 1, 3, God speaking, let there be light and there was light at a time when darkness covered the face of the deep. According to Genesis chapter 1, God spoke light into the world and Jesus as light, it's connected to life as well. And if Jesus is connected to his light, connected to life, as it was in the beginning, God spoke light into the world and the creation process began, then darkness is connected to death. And we find this in John 3:19. I don't have this in my notes for you, but I thought about that this morning. The notes you guys get go out normally on Fridays, but I always read through the message on Sunday morning again. And as I was reading this I thought about John 3:19 that says this is the condemnation that light has come into the world but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil so darkness connected to the evil deeds of humanity versus the light that God sent into the world and so Jesus being the light connected to life in this passage Jesus said I'm the light if you come to me, you will have the light of life. So he connects light and life together. Darkness then connected with death in our world. 1 John 4, 4 tells us, He who is in you is greater than he is who is in the world. So that just encourage you that though this world is dark, through Christ, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, I don't think we should disconnect Jesus saying, I am the light of the world from the context that it came out of. Remember, last week we looked at this in our closing point. There was the woman who had been caught in adultery. And right following that, when Jesus said, go and sin no more to that woman, then Jesus spoke saying, I am the light of the world. And the light of Jesus Christ To the accusers, they were convicted of sin. They went out one by one when Jesus said, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible tells us from the oldest to the youngest, they went out kind of in order. The oldest, we can envision, imagine that they had a bit more baggage, a bit more sin than those who were younger. But every one of them departed. She had no accusers. And the one who was without sin that day, Jesus Christ, said to the woman, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So we shouldn't disconnect Jesus as being the light of the world from the context that it flowed from. Because his light caused some to be condemned, but also his light not only exposed the sin of the woman. Jesus did not say that she wasn't guilty of adultery. What he said is, neither do I condemn you. The light brought healing to the woman. And that is how the light of God works. Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. But to the woman, Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. First John 1 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, for the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Light, yes, exposes you know, it's <laughs> why in the morning? I never get ready to come to church in a very dark room. Last night I was shaving, and I, I tend to like to shave on Saturday evening. And Lily's like, You have to shave with your glasses on? It's like, Yes. If I want to see <laughs> the whiskers that I'm trying to get off my face, I need my glasses on. And uh, more light is even better in those situations. If you want to really, you know, get a good look at yourself or you're working on something, working on a project, you need that light to kind of bring revelation. And Jesus has become that light for us. So he continues in verses 13 and 14, talking about the true witness. The Pharisees said... You bear witness, uh, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And Jesus answered them and said, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. So there were several skirmishes between the Pharisees, the religious rulers, and Jesus. And this one actually ties back to an earlier event that took place where the people here are wondering if Jesus is indeed the Christ because the rulers had not arrested him yet. So they're saying, hey, if they believe he's the Christ, they haven't arrested him. Well, this happened back in John seven twenty-eight and 29. Jesus cried out there in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true whom you do not know, but I know him for I know for I am from him and he sent me. So we have the same flavor of words being given to us here by Jesus talking about his true witness, talking about knowing where he had come from, where he was going, but also condemning them, saying, you don't know where I'm from or where I'm going. You don't know him who has sent me. So Jesus tying this back to our last chapter in John 7, verses 28 and 29. And so they had these skirmishes, skirmishes, and we find that, you know, they didn't go around as far as uh, bouts with one another over an issue and just let it die down. The religious rulers kept bringing things back up. And Jesus' healing on the Sabbath became one of those sticking points that they kept bringing back up. So God, through Jesus' Jesus's work and his words, he had given many testimonies about Jesus. God testified of his Son through the words of Jesus and through the miracles, the work, works of Jesus. And yet many of the Jews, because they had no relationship with the Heavenly Father, they did not truly know Jesus, nor did they understand where he was from. However, Jesus didn't need any other witness. He knew his testimony was true, where he was from, where he was going. In fact, in Revelation 1.5, Jesus is called the faithful witness. And truly, Jesus is the faithful witness. In 15 through 19, we continue. It says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but my I am with my Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. And they said to him, Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you have known me, you would have known my father also. So Jesus not talking about Joseph. And really, um, after Luke talking about Jesus as a young boy at 12 years old, we never read of Joseph again in the Gospels. It is thought that he had died at some point. He just kind of is written out of the gospel accounts. Jesus speaking about his heavenly father. And saying, and kind of their argument, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus said, yeah, I bear witness of myself. My witness is true. But I'm not the only one testifying here. God the Father is also testifying of me. So we have the two witnesses. Their problem, they were judging according to appearance. In John seven twenty four, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. The Pharisees were judging according to the partial knowledge that they had. They didn't have a complete understanding of Jesus. And yet Jesus was able to judge with true knowledge. He had total knowledge. And we're often often guilty of that as well as far as having partial understanding, partial knowledge. Sometimes we judge, and I don't know. This was on my heart today. There was a time in Chicago many years ago, probably, I don't know, uh, 96, we were building a job in Chicago on the north side a school, on the north side of Chicago, and um, I ended up, Firing someone on that day, I was a foreman, and I had that right. I could call up the office say, I need a check right now. And uh, I fired someone for what I thought he was just came to work wasted. In hindsight, I look back at that wondering if he had some kind of medical issue going on. Either way, he shouldn't have been at work that day. He was not able to do the job. He was having a hard time concentrating. To me, he looked drunk. And he told me twice, you're wrong. And I still let him go and sent him off the job site. And then um, at lunch, I gathered all the guys together. And you'll say, and I said, I used it because I had all these guys I didn't know being hired on a project. And uh, I had to do it twice. One, I do know the guy was drunk when I fired him. But uh, I just said, look, I won't have it. If you're showing up drunk, you're not going to work with me. And so you just won't have a job here. So I used it as a standard. But I still look back and wonder. And the guy was pretty forceful saying, you're wrong. Even though I still let him go. Um, He said I was wrong. And I wonder if I was judging off partial knowledge. I just assumed something. Maybe something else was going on. But... uh, I think we're like that and maybe I'm was totally wrong I don't know to this day I don't don't know the situation I don't remember the man's name he was hired on that project and that happens a lot of times in the trade when you get on a bigger job you always have your crew the guys you work with normally and then you have to expand to hire on other bricklayers and so there were a lot of people who worked under me and maybe at that occasion I judged with partial knowledge. I know I've been guilty of that. You no doubt have been guilty of that as well. In first Samuel sixteen, seven, the Lord reminded Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature. When talking about King Saul, do not or no, talking about King David's older brother, whom Samuel thought should be anointed as the next king. Samuel looked at David's older brother and thought, this is a kingly looking guy. Look how tall. I don't know what kingly looking looks like, but we still do it to this day. Presidential, don't you have candidates running for president and we're going to get a lot of this and we'll say that he and today we might say she looks very presidential we have some kind of mindset of how they should look they got to have the right you know blue suit and red tie they got to have that uh, look to them to have their red white and blue colors to be patriotic and all that but God said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance, don't look at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So under Jewish law, truth is established. They were correct when they said to Jesus, you testify of yourself, your testimony is not true. What they missed was the testimony of God. So they were incorrect on that. But based off of one witness, the law says, Deuteronomy 19.15, one witness shall not arise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter is established. So they were correct, but they were looking physically And they neglected the testimony of God, so they were incorrect in that. But one witness, Jesus, he was true. His witness was true, but they could not see or did not acknowledge the testimony of the Father. Jesus talked about this in John 14, 10 and 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? The Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father. The Father is in me, or at least believe me for the sakes of the work. works. He gave more than one testimony. They could not see it. This was because the Pharisees, I often say religious rulers, this context of this passage is the Pharisees, part of the religious rulers of Israel, Uh, They were the one condemning Jesus here. And they didn't have full knowledge. They didn't know the Heavenly Father. And so even the disciples at this time, they struggled with these things. They didn't have a complete understanding. Thomas, in John 14, 5 through 7, would say to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except by me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And from now on, you know him because you have seen me. So the disciples, they didn't have a full picture yet. Uh, Jesus hadn't died on the cross. They didn't have all the information yet. But Jesus did say to them, from now on, you know him because you have seen me. Jesus knew that they would gain this understanding. They would find and seek the truth concerning Jesus and find not only Jesus, but the Heavenly Father as well. And that happens for us as well. We get this uh, big bonus of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We not only find our Savior and Lord, we find the Heavenly Father and the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon our lives. And so verse 20, these words, Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. And so the tradition of the lighting of the torches, as I said, was it took place in the women's court. And here the treasury also took place in the women's court. In the women's court, there were 13 chests that were inverted trumpets where they would give their ties their gifts to the church there in the court of the women the inverted trumpets make me think of the bell of the trumpet like when you're at a shopping mall and they have these big round circular things where you can drop a coin in I don't know if that's how it was in the temple court Come on, mommy, daddy, let's put our shekel in. Can I put the shekel in? You know, and watch it spin around. I don't know. That's just my brain working. Sorry, I put that thought in your mind. But uh, that's how the money was given. And even in in Mark 12:41, Jesus sat opposite the treasury, saw how the people put the money in, and so he watched the giving. But no one laid hands on him at this time because his hour had not yet come. And I've mentioned this every time we come uh, come upon it, I'll mention it again. The hour, the time, it's mentioned 10 times in John's gospel. And there'll be a point of transition in um, John chapter 12 where Jesus will say the hour has come. But up to this point, the hour had not yet come. So true life is found in the light of Jesus. Not in the darkness of this world. Our second point we find in verses 21 through 29. I titled this point, the son of man. And Jesus says in verses 21 and 22, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. So Jesus, he's talking about his coming death, burial, resurrection, his ascension into heaven. I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come. But because they did not believe, ultimately they would die in their sin. Jesus was talking about spiritual things. They misunderstood him, thinking physically they actually thought he might have been talking about committing suicide. For the Jews, suicide brought separation from God. There were many years ago a teenager that um, had attended with his family this church. At the time they weren't attending the church, but I ended up doing the funeral. He had uh, committed suicide, and uh, he was... On the football team, there were a lot of teens there at the funeral. And, uh, you know, without much detail, the coroner was actually investigating uh, a drug that was being used um, given to uh, teens that had certain things going on and investigating kind of a connection with this drug, pharmaceutical drug, and suicide. So he had questions. And so it may have been something that was really not driven by something he would have done if he hadn't been on this drug. The coroner was very concerned about it. He had seen a number of cases in Lake County about it. But at the funeral, here's the words that I opened with. I'm not going to read the name of the individual. They're not even in my notes. But I began with these words. As we all know, on Wednesday afternoon this person made a very poor choice that ultimately took his own life from this earth I would not like us to focus on the poor choice that was made but rather on what I believe was the most important choice that was ever made and I went on to talk about a decision that he actually drove in his whole family when they lived out in California that because of this young man, the whole family was baptized together. He was the driving force of the uh, bringing about the baptism in this family. And so I focused on faith in Jesus Christ in that situation. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep in verse 18 of John 10. He says, no one takes It from me, speaking about his own life, I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I receive from my father. So, They thought, is he going to take his own life? Is he going to commit suicide? Jesus said, no, that's not what's going on. I'm talking to you about spiritual things. You just don't understand because you're not in tune with spiritual things. That's something that is quite common in our world today. And he said to them, verses 24, 23 and 24, you're from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. All right. I just want to point out in verse 24. I'm going to check it in my Bible now as I'm looking at it, that I read that correctly. Correct. So in my Bible, it's translated, and I just pull my... Scripture that I put in my notes from my Bible translation, and I always italics my scripture. Maybe I shouldn't do this, but um, in the Bible where they have, you see an italics word. It means that that's been inserted by the interpreters. So it only says in verse 24, ego me. It does not say I am he in the Greek the original Greek, all it says is, I am. And I believe that's significant. Now, we understand that Jesus is talking about himself, but it is significant in connection with the authority of God. And we'll look at that in a moment in another verse. First of all, Jesus pointed out the difference of their origin. You guys are from below, you're of this world. I am from above, I am from heaven. And it's the second time Jesus tells them, you're going to die in your sins if you remain. And in fact, this is true to this day. You're going to die in your sins. Look at what he said in verse 24. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's true to this day. For anyone who does not come into saving faith in Jesus Christ, they will die in their sins. Well, Pastor John, what if they worship a different God, another religion, another religion? It's still true. There's only one God, and there's only one faith. And the only way to the Heavenly Father is through His Son. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, I've already read the verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. And Jesus said here plainly, If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In John 3:36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the ego and me, the I am statement here, uh, not connected with any descriptive terms. Now, he's not saying I am the bread of life. He's not saying I am the light of the world. He's merely saying I am. We're going to look at this next week further but if you notice in verse 58 jesus will say it again most assuredly i say to you before abraham was i am now in verse 58 the translators did not insert a he next to it they left it as it is ego me i am and the jews were ready to stone him to death because he said this because he was connecting himself with god with that one statement i am could be i am god we'll look at that next week we're going to get to it next week but a teaser for next week you can explore that on your own this week as well the point that jesus is making without a saving relationship with him We, like the religious rulers, would also die in our sins. 25 through 27, they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. And they did not understand that he spoke of them of the Father. So they were disconnected. Again, They're thinking physically, Jesus talking spiritually. They did not understand. Jesus would judge, but right now he didn't come to judge. He came to be the Savior of the world. At his second coming, he will come to judge the world. And then Jesus said, verses 28 and 29, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing of myself, But as my father taught me, I speak these things. He who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Please him. What a good son. What a good son. Flashback of uh, a birthday party that Lily had for me when we lived over in Winthrop Harbor. And uh, I don't know what age I was. Um, We moved out here in the year 2000 and uh, this was prior to that but Lily was planning a surprise birthday party in fact both times she did this for me I know she planned one when I was 50 Uh, she got me both times so she's very good about it Um, because on that one in the harbor in our house in the harbor I was Wondering why my son was cleaning up the yard. It's like, this is something he doesn't do without force. It's like, what's wrong with him today? He's being a good son. I should have known something was up. And the the 50th, it was actually at uh, Grant Woods. She had planned this party, and some of you were there. And we were doing a drive, just me and my son in my truck. And uh, we went into—he's like, "Oh, I went the wrong way. I need to turn around." So he's just playing me all the way. And we're driving in, and they had a sign that said the Pinnells and where we were supposed to go. And all I said was, "Look, there's somebody else named Pinnell here." <laughs> I still—there's a lot of Pinnells that not—they're not connected to us, but they live in Antioch. And I've always had that. Oh, are, are you connected with the Pinnells in Antioch? I was like, no. I don't even know the Pinnells in Antioch. But, um, so he had me both times. One, just by doing a, a good sonly thing. Jesus always did the things that please his father. Children, it's always a good thing to please mom and dad. Do good things for them. They love you, and... Uh, Show your love by serving them as well. So he's talking about when you lift up the Son of Man. This is a reference to the cross. He'll say it again in John 12, 32 and 33. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself and he said this signifying by what death he would die so this lifted up we don't even have to guess on it because John gives us commentary about it in John 12:33, saying he talked about the type of death he was going to die he was going to be crucified and he also in this passage called himself the son of man this is a favorite title of Jesus he used it in the Gospels 83 times concerning himself that he being the son of man it was he referred to himself most often as the son of man more than any other uh, references he made to himself being referred to as the only begotten son of god the son of god the son of man he used it 12 times in the gospel of john but 83 times in all four gospels sadly they didn't truly know jesus nor his father therefore They would die in their sins, and this can describe many in our world today. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ, through the work that he did on the cross, that we can be saved. Jesus has made salvation available to all who call upon his name. And finally, verses 30 through 36, if the Son makes you free, 30 through 32, it says, And he spoke these words, and many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The Greek word for abide is mino, uh, spelled M-E-N-O. And uh, it is talking about being connected to someone, kind of coming in their realm or their sphere. We kind of connect with an individual, we abide, we stay close, we cling to, and Christians are to abide in Jesus, we're to abide in his word, we're to stay close to Jesus. It is what helps in the process of our sanctification to abide in the truth, the truth will make you free. And in John 17:17, 17, 17, Jesus praying to the Father says, sanctify them by the truth. It's through the truth of Christ that we are set free. So the Bible, knowing what the Bible says about sin, God's plan for redemption through faith in Jesus Christ, does not make someone a believer. They have to receive, they have to believe in Jesus Christ. And so 33 through 36, closing us out. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been into bondage with anyone. I find that statement amazing. We'll look at that in a moment. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, "Assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not abide in the Father." in the house forever but the Sun abides forever therefore if the Sun makes you free you will be free indeed so the Jews claiming their being descendants of Abraham they said they've never been in bondage to anyone they've been in bondage quite a bit and they were in bondage in Egypt and to the Medes and Persians to the Babylonians and now to the Romans they had known physical bondage quite a bit But again, with the Romans, they had a type of freedom where they could make judgment for their own people. So they were under Roman authority, but they had a type of freedom where they could make judgment for their own people. Rome was cracking down on them because of the rebellion that was taking place by the zealots. They're in Israel, but they had a, a sense of freedom, but they were not free. But Jesus, again, he's talking spiritually. He said, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. If the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Their bondage was twofold. As a nation, they had been under bondage by many. Right now, currently, the Romans. But as slaves to sin, they were in bondage That would result ultimately in their death in Romans 8 2, it says for the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. They were in bondage, though they didn't recognize their bondage. There are a lot of people today here in America, especially Americans think about their Christian heritage. Some of the older folks, not the younger kids, they have no clue. Of Christian heritage today some might have but many don't but for many in our country they still might think that well you know my parents were Christian I'm a Christian but they have never personally received Jesus as their Savior they have the name Christian that they may have attached to themselves just like the Jews were descendants of Abraham but they were not like abraham in the sense that abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness they lacked the faith of abraham they did not have saving faith like abraham had in trusting in god in america we have many people who may call themselves christian because of a christian heritage that they might have but they don't have saving faith They lack the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's only the Son of Man who can set us free. So we close out. We've seen free indeed, verses 12 through 36 of John 8, that Jesus first is the light of the world, second, that he is the Son of Man, and third, that only Jesus can make us free. So John 8:36, I said I would say so. Why? This is a favorite verse of mine. Um, it ties back to me being 17 years old and beginning to play in a Christian group with my cousin. And at the time, Lily and his wife and another man named Rick and our first name of our band, we called ourselves Free. We just figured out that after a while free was not a good title um, for a band and we changed the name uh, don't you have that kind of perception too if you have somebody it's, it's totally free it's like alright it's not really free is it there's like there's a catch here somewhere right um, but not with Jesus if the sun makes you free You will be free indeed. And Father, today, on this Father's Day, it could be that, Lord, we have been in bondage, maybe bondage to sin, maybe bondage, Lord, to uh, just the emotions of our hearts, things that we won't release. Lord, in reality, you have set us free, but Lord, we're hanging on the things that we won't release. And so we've been keeping ourselves in bondage when you have set us free. Maybe there are those, Lord, that are still in the bondage of sin who have never been set free. They've never found the forgiveness of our Savior because they've never looked to you the way, the truth, and the life. could be, Lord, that someone on the radio listening now, maybe, Lord, it's someone watching through the video live stream or maybe at a later time they're hearing this message. But, Lord, to this day, if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Let them hear those words. Let it penetrate to their hearts. And may they respond to that freedom. This day, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.